shits himself in IKEA. Actually, true story. I'm almost in that in multiple retail it. experience. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> First date question. Francesca. Hello and welcome to the after school special. Back in November 2020, before the election, actually the night before the election, we were joined by Jessa Crispin for the fifth edition of our series. Jessa is a writer and editor, perhaps best known for her book, Why I Am Not a Feminist, a Feminist Manifesto. Jessa also hosts a podcast called Public Intellectual and is a columnist for The Guardian US. In this episode, Jessa discusses capitalism as our new religion and how this came to be. What does it mean for a corporation to be a person and what is the alternative if, after all, we live under late capitalism and everyone's got to eat? But before we get started, we would like to share that our next talk, Volume 6, will take place in person in Berlin and online on August 19th. The talk is titled Rebel to Sell and we'll explore some of the topics Jessa discusses today, specifically looking at how corporations co-op grassroots movements and the impact it has beyond the actual transaction. As the talk will be about corporate communications, we thought it should be given by a corporate communications specialist, so don't miss it. You can find more about the next event at navara.is slash afterschool or follow us on Instagram at as underscore talks. We hope to see you there. The After School Special Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and wherever else you can download and listen to podcasts. Okay, with that said, and without further ado, please enjoy this talk by Jessa Crispin. Hi, Jessa. Hi. Um, how's it going? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I mean, just to put things in context, you're, you're in Baltimore right now. I am, yes. And that's been the one sort of uh, small shining light of all of this is that we actually just elected a um, an extremely interesting mayor. So that feels like the one thing to hold on to for the sake of sanity um, as as the rest of things fall into a big question mark, yeah. We've been disappointed by so-called progressive mayors before, um, but it does seem radically different to uh, have the first mayor in a long time who isn't a landlord. Um, like it's an actual sort of shift. <laughs> Come to think of it, the majority of them are. Yeah. 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 This is, this is our first one. So, uh, our first renter actually not even property owner. It's, I, who knows what is going to happen. Interesting. Okay. Um, in one of your last podcasts that the one about, uh, Pope and communism and all of this beauty, mm -hmm. you were talking about this whole thing of kind of, uh, the relationship of like uh, sort of modern society, religion, ideology, and capitalism, and kind of like the role capitalism now plays, aside from being an economical system, some, some other aspects of it. So you mm -hmm. want to maybe kind of um, talk about that a bit? Yeah, so um, Eugene McHarriher, uh wrote a provocative 
book, um, The Enchantments of Mammon, uh, How Capitalism Functions as the, as the, or How Capitalism Became the Religion of Modernity, um, that posits that we don't use capitalism as just a way of, you know, exchanging money for goods and running our international trade and all these sorts of things. We use it as a, as a kind of religion. Um, and definitely, you know, he, he traces how this is sort of developed, but I'm very much just interested in, in kind of how it functions right now, which is that essentially, you know, um, we lost, we lost all of these um, authorities and intermediaries who we could look to to tell us how to live a life or whether we were a good person or am, does God hate me? Am I going to hell? Or, you know, uh, do I look okay in yellow? Like all of these sorts of like authorities that we could turn to, to give us sort of guidance you know, they, they kind of fell over the last hundred years and for very good reason. I mean, um, it's hard to go to a church and um, give them your obedience and your devotion when you know the sort of political maneuverings that they were doing with priests during a sex abuse scandal and the money that they, that they have taken from um, the developing world and <clears throat> just everything else. Like they lost authority because um, for very good reasons, because they, they abused it. But that has left all of us in this position where we don't have guidance and we don't have these sort of markers of uh, to give us an idea of where we are in time and space. We don't have a moral universe anymore. Everything is sort of in question. And what we do now is we look essentially to the market to bestow meaning upon us, um, you know, it's not enough anymore to just sort of go to Instagram for likes, right? For for your selfie, which is how a lot of us figure out: should I feel okay about my face? Right? We go to Instagram, we put our face on Instagram, and then we see how many people like it. But now it's like this this thing of like, oh well, now we should go to OnlyFans. We should get an account on OnlyFans and see if someone will pay us to look at our face. Um, what was her name? Uh, Bella Thorne. You know, Bella Thorne, the reason why she created an OnlyFans account, it's not like she needs the money. She, like everybody else, a lot of people who are on there and are on these social media um, and on Patreon and all these sort of tools of monetization of just like the self, she wanted to see what she was worth, you know? Um, and so other than like, I don't know, the Reddit, am I an asshole forum? Uh, I, there aren't that many places that you can go to to see and question and, and be told, you know, am I doing okay? So we look to the market to decide that for us. Okay, so kind of like an ironic self-regulation. Was it Mark Fisher's idea that, in, in, like the, that capitalism is actually not, the beauty of it that it's, there's no one at the helm. So basically, right. it's a self-regulating system that is actually cannot be controlled by anyone, governable basically. And yeah, we kind of feed yeah. into it. Um, okay, interesting. But um, I think I think also you um, you mentioned this kind of uh, thing about people um, trying to represent themselves more and more as brands or like uh, it basically using the same um, strategies that a brand would use. Uh, 
to promote itself and kind of like is my face okay and how to get more likes so that would be that would be the currency mm-hmm. and the whole thing about the sort of um attention capitalism um so how do, how do you feel how do you feel like to turn this into actual question um <laughs> it's been a long week how do you feel this kind of like this blurry line between a personal identity and corporate identity and like personal life and a business life, whatever you do, and then both being intertwined more and more? Mm-hmm. Where does this leave us as people? Uh, how do we create our identity? Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of the... Um inevitable result of uh, the content creator or the sort of independent uh, crowdsourced figure is that the corporate structure for how you make profit um, is still basically the only one that works. Um, And so you as an individual then have to become a corporation in order to become profitable. Um, But what works for a company, uh, which is um, the uh, sort of flattening of anything interesting or uh, unusual about you, in order to sort of create a mass appeal, you know, that's okay for like a shoe, um, but it's not great for the soul, right? Um, Richard Sennett has uh, the, this term he calls, yeah, the correct, so Richard Sennett calls it, calls it the corrosion of character, um, which is basically just like, um, once you sell a little bit of it, uh, the rest of it is going to sort of inevitably fall after it. Um, But character just being anything, anything, I mean, anything interesting about you, anything um, that's not uh, a product that isn't monetizable kind of has to fall away because you are now essentially exploiting yourself. And that's the thing is like, corporations exploit workers, you are now both CEO and worker, so you exploit yourself. Um, And then it becomes difficult to understand that that's what's really happening. It just seems like, oh, I'm just having a good time and I'm taking a good selfie and I'm face tuning. (laughs) But then everything becomes about, well, optimization. So why not, instead of, you know, face tuning your face, why not just go have somebody cut into it and change it from the inside. Uh, why not starve yourself on a, a fasting diet? Why not, you know, and, and it just sort of this slide into it because again, like that we don't have an authority, we don't have an intermediary to be like, this is, this is silly. But, you know, even in a corporate culture, you have, you would have a boss and you would have like these expectations placed onto you. But when you don't have that, when you are is in essence, your own boss, um, then there is this sort of slide into, um, you know, I don't know. It, it seems very like Protestant to me, uh, having been raised Methodist. Of uh, you don't need you don't need a priest. You can just talk to God. And I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to talk to God. I don't have that kind of time. It seems very complicated. I don't know how to tell if he's talking back to me or if I'm having a hallucination. Like, I you do need these markers. Um, and boundaries and intermediaries um, to figure out so that you don't basically dissolve into the infinite. <laughs> um, and the infinite just here being, you know, uh, the stock market. But um, 
but yeah, it's, um, it's hard to figure out how to resist any of that because otherwise, you know, how else do you do that and just not be poor forever? Poor forever. Um, it is, um, <laughs> it is fun. Um, two, two things you said were very interesting. Like, um, church lost all of its power because it abused it. Sounds interesting in again, like in the in the year 2020 when people abuse power just for fun at this point and seem to gain all, only more of it really for some reason. Is it like a sort of does humanity have daddy's issues? But uh oh, yeah, no dad yeah, we have we have tremendous daddy issues and it, and it's um it's uh it is killing us. Um but you know everything, all these all these sorts of authorities um abuse its power, and that's why you know. I wanted to talk about the Pope in, in the um, uh, podcast episode and in every conversation, I keep trying to bring it back to the Pope and nobody, nobody wants to talk about the Pope with me. But um, uh, you basically have like all of these Catholics who are like, eh, no, this isn't my Pope. We, I only, I only like just gonna put John Paul II sticker on something and, and pray to him like he's still the Pope. Like it's a real rejection of it. Um, which is fascinating. Like they need authority and they want to sort of bow to it unless it tells them something that they don't like. <laughs> and they're like, no, fuck this. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of interesting. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the, the movie Death of Stalin. The irony of the system was that like, uh, even, even though it was kind of dependent upon the sole figure of the, the entity that rules everything, it can, it can in the end consume the, himself as well. So like, mm. are we in a situation where like, basically a system became a religion and there's no one who controls it and there's no point to it and it's just self-regulating but also decentralized so like mm -hmm. we don't have any there isn't anyone to tell us actually uh, aside from like like dislike thing mm -hmm. that we're doing good or, or not good or like they're like where are we going with this well i think that's why I, I think that's why we still have capitalism is because we don't have anything else. And so the market is at least some sort of uh, framework for understanding, you know, if my life has value, if what I do has value and so on. It, it, we, it's, it is a form of regulation and, that we desperately need. And we, we don't really have other ways of understanding these things. So, you know, capitalism works because we all participate in capitalism um, because it's, even when it's terrible to us, um, in essence, like we can't do without it at the moment. Um, and I think it's, again, like a kind of religious hold over it or an emotional hold over it rather than necessarily just a material one um, because the, you know, Mark Fisher and Jameson have, have talked about the, the 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 imaginative hold that capitalism has on us and are in the way that it keeps us from imagining other ways of being but it's it's not just imaginative it is kind of spiritual in a way um the, that we just don't have another way of understanding our value or the value of others without bringing in money to the subject you know we don't talk about art in uh aesthetic terms hardly at all anymore we talk about its market value we don't talk about um whether a movie was good we talked about it, its box office so um everything has become sort of subsumed in the language of the market and in the uh evaluation of the market it's it really is like we're taking <laughs> our our 
ourselves, our products, our, our, and, you know, behold, taking it in front of the God mammon and being like, yay or nay, <laughs> do we throw it into the pit or can we keep it? Um, it's really, it's really larger than just, um, uh, you know, how do I pay my rent? Okay. And like, if you think about it, all of those features seem quite rational. So like, would you say that it's, it has something to do with the enlightenment and like, it is kind of one of the triumphs of enlightenment. It won. It won. The enlightenment okay, won, which is too bad, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, it's interesting that all of the, um, you know, there are all of these enlightenment defenders over the last five years. And then it turned out that almost all of them were friends with Jeffrey Epstein. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't think that that's necessarily unrelated. Um, but certainly this idea that we can do without uh, the unconscious, that we can do without religion, that we can do without... Um, beauty even um music outside you know the way that both art and religion has you know the has been co-opted and become useful to uh to capitalism is in essence part of the enlightenment because there, you know it was about breaking tradition it was about breaking uh, the hold that the so-called uh, superstition had on uh, on human beings, and it turns out that those rituals and that superstition was the only thing holding us together. Um, and now we're, you know, suicide rates are spiking, um, you know, war and so on. Like, I mean, I'm not going to go through, but yeah, everything that the Enlightenment thought it was going to do, it didn't, did not do, and um, and it kind of created the world though that we live in right now. I mean, Pankaj Misha is, is really good on this subject of just like, you know, it, it is good to have reason. It is good to have, you know, logic and a legal code and everything, but um, the breaking of tradition and context and, and feelings of belonging and, and other ways of appreciating life and, and building meaning, um, was devastating and obviously like some people were able to profit off of the enlightenment and its and its virtues um and other people were kept from that um and other people just sort of like are the uh fuel for that really if capitalism is our ultimate religion what plays what role does the sort of a, a corporation or a business play in this kind of religious context yeah, so um, <clears throat> certainly when feminism became sort of co-opted by corporations, you did see people looking at, let's say, being pandered to by Nike or by Chase Bank or whatever as a success. Uh, oh, look, we've, we've been recognized, we've been seen, we've been deemed to be equal human beings, like not by the government, <laughs> but by a corporation that wants to sell the shoes or whatever. Um, so, you know, you saw it with feminism, you, you saw it with uh, the pride parades, you see it, you know, um, 
the same banks that are foreclosing on um, poor people who can't make their mortgages because um, we're in a pandemic, you know, put a pride flag on uh, on an advertisement and people are like, oh, look, we're included now. So we definitely look to um, these things to the market again, like, am I acceptable? Am I um, included? But it's only because, you know, because women have money now, right? I mean, th that's the reason why we're being pandered to as something other than just like sort of silly, pretty objects, which is the, the only way that we were sort of um, perceived as in the past through advertising is just like, oh, you have got to, you know, look hot for your husband so he doesn't fuck the secretary and leave you stranded financially. Um, so there, there's that, but now they see it as says powerful marathon runners or whatever the fuck. Um, and that's seen as progress or, you know, there's a gay couple kissing in a Cheerios ad and that's seen as progress, but we look to it, not just as, Oh, hello, we're being pandered to. And these are the people who want us who want our money, but we look to it as now we are acceptable. Now we are um, included in the great uh, promise of the market, you know, in, in, in a kind of way of like, uh, we've, we've reached salvation. We've reached um, a state of grace um, because these people want our money. Um, so it's not, it's not really surprising to see it happening again so fast with the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm, I guess I'm only surprised that it didn't happen before this particular, you know, the last couple of months. Um, but boy, everybody slapped a black square on their corporate Instagram feeds uh, real fast this time. And people, again, and again, like people bought it. People are like, look, look at how great this is. And um, it's, it's not great. <laughs> So basically, uh, the question of media representation of underprivileged group now is basically like market representation, which in turn gives you uh, media representation, but like by virtue of being someone who can contribute financially. Yeah, I mean, we all live under like neoliberal government, so it makes sense that we see it like acceptance into the marketplace as um acceptance into sort of the public square in general like your voice is being heard because we confuse the two and, and we do refute we do confuse like uh market representation with um uh any sort of like political solidarity or care um but it's because you know politics and money has been confused for you know hundreds of years so and, and just increasingly so um but then the it takes a while before people understand the limits of that form of power which is uh considerable and eventually i mean you're not going to see um a poor couple <laughs> kissing in a cheerios ad um they're all very middle class. <laughs> yeah, that was a Smashing Pumpkins video in the 90s. Yeah, yeah well, it's not the 90s anymore, man. <laughs> um, okay, and um, this idea of a lifestyle product, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't, maybe you remember the meme, I don't, I don't remember it verbatim, but basically like turn your, turn your like uh, uh, clients into followers, your brand into church, this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, apparently now just selling you a product is not enough anymore. 
Mm-hmm. So you have to become a part of not only uh, an identity, which was the case even before, because like people associated themselves with a certain product, but all, but now you, it's not enough. You have to be a part of a lifestyle. And this, this is where this kind of like this term lifestyle product stems mm-hmm. from partially. Yeah. Um, seemingly, seemingly innocuous, like seemingly like, yeah, sure. Cool. Like we all have lifestyles and we, you know, like we have to consume something. That's the thing. Like as, as, uh, as my boy, uh, what's his face, uh, Gide Bor was saying that, you know, there's no escape in the spectacle. So we are in there and, um, and why it is it kind of important to the, uh, to our fellow, um, if we even have anyone listening, like designers and people. <laughs> But this feeling that not only we're sitting here all uh, sort of semi-educated and like uh, drinking beverages and talking about things, that it makes us uh, sort of uh, not guilty of anything. That like this this important understanding that literally no one, this is an all-engulfing system that we all are part of. Mm -hmm. Um, How to turn this into question? Um, (laughs) You know this? Oh, that's okay. I I can just talk. But you know what I mean? Like, it's uh, like, what yeah. do we do with that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's especially as somebody who's like a supposed to be like a content creator, um, that ultimately it's not enough to create a product like um, a pod, a weekly podcast, or uh, a, you know. a a regular book or something like that you then have to sort of sell yourself you have to sell your life as a lifestyle um in order to create loyalty right and and yeah this is another thing that sort of is fine for a corporation because they hire an advertising team to create that mystique for them to be like if you use this product this is the kind of life that you will have um but now it's uh, if you listen to this podcast, this is the kind of life that you will have, be- and you know this because you see the podcaster on Instagram or whatever, you know, uh, putting out pictures of the cocktails that they're drinking and putting out, you know, the scarf that they're wearing or whatever, and and then that has to be monetized as well. Like you can't just do a podcast; you then have to like collaborate with a with a nail polish or uh or something whatever and that just becomes part of the all encompassing um you're selling the way that you live your life to other people including like a sort of parasocial friendship where you create a level of intimacy um with your listeners or your followers um or your readers where they are tricked into believing that you know who they are and that you care about them and thus they can be manipulated into buying your new thing. So it's, it's much more, um, I think, harmful than uh, when a corporation does it, when an individual does it, because because we don't have great boundaries anymore. And and we all know of all these, you know, people listen to podcasts, in a way of not just, oh, this is an interesting idea or a point of view or whatever. They listen to it as like, this is my imaginary friend. Um, and some people are better at distinguishing between reality and fantasy and other, than others. But I was reading um, a piece today where someone was saying that they realized at some point they listened to so much Dan Savage 
who does like three hours of podcasts a week or something like that, that now his opinion and point of view about what is sort of good sexuality, what is harmful sexuality, um, has, has completely replaced his own sense of, uh, uh, because it, it just, uh, when you just uh, consume that much of one specific point of view, uh, when you buy into that kind of lifestyle and, you know, Dan Savage has over the years kind of like positioned himself in, in that way, um, then it's, it's, you don't notice how it erodes your own sense of self and your own ability to sort of think independently, especially because we're all creating these little bubbles based on, you know, who we think we want to be. Um, and so we only consume the content of people that we that we aspire to be in some way. Um, but I was thinking about this in the, in like, um, in the, the sort of astrology realm, because so many of them are becoming extremely famous right now and very successful, but they're never just doing astrology. Um, it, you know, they, they're doing sponsored content with Airbnb about, you know, where to go on vacation if you're a Virgo. And they're doing like, um, Spotify playlists, what to listen to if if you're a Leo or whatever. So it's yeah, it's and I and I think it's particularly bad with astrology because you're like, oh, I'm a Taurus. This is who I'm supposed to be. Um, and and so it's very easy to just sort of like shop for your identity if you are a consumer of this. And it's also hard to resist trying to provide this because, you know, it is very um, satisfying when people envy you, right? I mean, it is very satisfying to be envied, to uh, to have fans, to have people that think they, you, you know, that want to be your friend um, and, and so on. And, and, and especially if you don't have a great, um, uh, if you, if you also don't have great boundaries <laughs> and it's not just your fan base that has that issue, uh, you can feed into it uh, intentionally or unintentionally um, and, uh, and profit from it, like sometimes by quite a lot. But, it, you know, the thing is like, it, this is so hard to talk about because again, like how do we establish the value of a certain way of being it's by how much money you make so what is my argument against doing this like my argument is moral <laughs> but essentially like we don't have any place for uh, morality in our conversation anymore so um you know somebody listening to this would be like oh that's a really good idea i should seek out a nail polish company to do a collaboration with what to wear now that I, you know, because I'm a Gemini or whatever the fuck. Ascending one. Um, okay, so um, I think that brings us to also an interesting point. Is there an alternative to that? So like uh, if, if, we, if we find ourselves uh, brands of some sort, all of us, mm -hmm. is there, an, can, can one imagine like an alternative to even a partial alternative to that or like, do we have to do something with it? Like if we find ourselves in this situation and we do, it seems. Good old uh, Chernyshevsky, what is to be done? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, part of it is I think, um, you know, just like thinking of work as a 
job. We don't like to do that anymore. We want these things to have meaning because we don't have these other avenues for meaning. So we want our job to convey meaning to us. But if we uh, look at job as this is where I'm going to steal toner and make a paycheck and get health insurance, and then I'm going to do something that is wildly unprofitable on the side. And, and that's becoming harder and harder because of course, like corporations, um, when you do find um, full-time employment, want to drain absolutely everything that they can out of you. You know, it, It's hard even now to just get like a bartender job um, which is what every fucking painter and writer and everything is that done through time is just go work at a bar. But now you can't just work at a bar. You have to create whimsical original cocktails on a rotating schedule. So you're using up the creativity that you would selfishly store for your own self um, for the sake of some shitty bar that charges $16 for a terrible martini, you know? So, um, it obviously it's hard to resist that sort of parasitical um drive um but at the same time like there has to be some sort of um division an internal division and an understanding that meaning doesn't come from some sort of external thing it's not bestowed upon you it, it is an act of creation you know i hear young writers all of the time talking about how they've always dreamed of being a writer the thing that uh it's the thing that they've wanted most since they were very young but the only thing that makes it real is a paycheck but the the way that you get a paycheck as a writer when you're young is you write stupid shit for a website right like a list about brad pitt's worst haircuts or whatever and so they're looking for uh, the meaning to come, the validation, the sense of having made it to come through the money rather than just the act of writing. And I think that we have to understand there has to be some sort of um, withdrawal of our participation in the market in different forms of our life, but it's hard to do that in any sort of like um, collective way. Um, I mean, that's, how do you create a sense of solidarity around that? I don't, I don't actually know the answer to it. Um, I mean, I do feel like when you have these all-consuming um, forms of institutional control, like in the sense that the church has played throughout time, but now um, the, sort of the market does instead, like the only role that makes sense morally, spiritually, anything else is the role of the heretic. Um, and to just find some sort of way of, um, of, of creating a sense of internal exile, of protection, of just like this, these are my limits. This is what you don't get. Even if I have to sit here and, and say, the reason I'm not submitting to your authority is because I don't believe in the transubstantiation of Christ during the Eucharist. Um, you know, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes that's, that's what you got to do. You've got, you have to sort of defy and withdraw devotion and talk loudly about it like a crazy person in the street and hope that other people sort of get the message. Form a heretical cult, I guess that's what I'm saying. And then the market will come and burn you as witches. Amen to that.
But the last question um, that I just forgot. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. It was a good mm -hmm. one. It'll come back to me. So um, basically, what you were trying to say is that uh, the only way to kind of uh, create an alternative to, to the to the existing situation is a the classic trick of like identity, identity and difference. So basically, mm -hmm. not being something your identity being defined as not being something as opposed to being yourself. So like, do you think that uh, there's no, like, I don't know, like a genuine uh, way of like parallel existence that can um, sort of be possible even within the given circumstances? Is there a way of like existence that is not defined by your oppressor, so to speak, but is genuine in itself and kind of has its own uh, way? Um, I, I do think that it's possible to set up these sort of parallel systems and um, and I I know that it is extremely difficult to do so um, and it's often not um, it's often not like a life of wealth and power right um, so, there's always going to be penniless artists. There's always going to be starving writers. There's always going to be like people who do something and there's always going to be priests and monks and, and people that find something to devote themselves to other than um, this sort of system of power that we, that we have created. Um, but we often just don't know about them, right? Because, because they're not allowed in society, you know, maybe after they're dead. Um, you know, I, I was kind of reading about, you know, the arts and crafts movement, which was sort of started through um, anarchic um, politics, right? The arts and crafts movement, which now we think of as being the sort of epitome of bourgeois, um, uh, you know, interior decorating or, or adornment or whatever was actually started by people who were like, you know, fuck, fuck this, the, the, the market for art, fuck the market for, um, you know, the, the art school and the exploitation and everything else. Like we just want to make things that look nice and we want, and we want to do it with our hands and we want to have a sort of a sense of solidarity and, and no one be like the one big genius. And, and it was really um, an anarchist movement. And a lot of them were uh, fully like, it wasn't accidental. They, they were coming at it through anarchist theory. Um, and then it managed to be co-opted after they were dead anyway. But that doesn't mean that just because now it's sold at inflated prices at auctions, like vases and shit that they were making, um, that doesn't mean that it wasn't worth doing. That it's not worth living a life that has some sort of sense of dignity um, and uh, soulfulness uh, just because you're not sort of rewarded and applauded. And I, and I think that actually like looking for reward and applause um, is exactly what gets us into these problems. But I also think that like Marx, you know, um, Marx is not a great, I, I'm very, I'm very cynical about contemporary Marxists, um, essentially because he, there's no way out through Marx. There, there is no, he fetishizes productivity. Um, it, it sort of allows for the, the sort of self as factory and, and exploitation. Um, so I, I don't see, you know, even if we get like, I don't know, like uh, universal basic income out of, <laughs> out of the, the contemporary Marxists, I don't think that we have an exit route 
through this uh, spiritual deadening. Um, and if anything, like the anarchist movement, um, I don't know, most anarchists today are like 12 years old or something from what I can tell, but uh, um, it, the history of it is the only thing that sort of lights me up at the moment. Um, so yeah, I don't know, Marx is bad. <laughs> Amen. Um, I think like uh, out of all of the you know, Marxist theory, Herbert Marcuse was one of the only ones that was saying something similar to what you're saying roughly, is that like act of creation for no kind of like external validation is probably the, you know, one of the, if not exits, but you know, a way to some sort of, some kind of salvation. Yeah, I think salvation is a good word for that. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, if, we're, if we're gonna stick with the sort of religious terminology, um, yeah, salvation is fine. Yeah, sounds also like a good t-shirt as a... <laughs> uh, well, um, I think we're about uh, to run out of time and uh, yeah, um, I hope that was um, not only depressing, but um, useful, which uh, oftentimes comes, uh, you know, hand in hand. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, thanks a lot for joining us today, tonight, whichever it is, um, and um, I really do wish you uh, all the best with uh, whatever comes uh, next week. Thank you. <laughs>